0: Were here she'd say, "I'm so thankful for my son, so I can talk to my to him about his sister." Okay. So you turn to Philippians chapter one, and uh, that was that was about my mom. Uh, you know, my my dad provided a lot of sermon material for for me and my brother, and uh, and he and. <laughs> Even though he's dead, he still liveth. You know, he still speaketh. Uh, I'm going to tell you something that you might not have known about my dad. Uh, Few people ever knew that he was a coon hunter. (laughs) Brother Jim, did you ever go coon hunting with Dad? Yeah. Did you ever go coon? Did you, did you, Lloyd, go coon hunting with Dad? Yeah. I knew you went uh, uh, deer hunting and uh when and he was so enthusiastic everybody knew dad was a coon hunter and uh and whenever I was growing a child I didn't know anything about it I just knew that he was all excited about it and and come Friday night he and his his uh, partner get together and they get dogs together and finally I he was he decided I was old enough to go along with him and I went in And about 30 minutes into it i had had (laughs) enough you know it was cold and wet and we we'd always get lost and and it was an arduous, just like walking forever for a little little child, little five year old boy, you know. And and we get lost, and I mean, really lost, and uh, I, uh, get out on on uh, on one of those roads, and finally find a road. <laughs> we were thankful to find a road, and we would just walk and walk until we, if we didn't know where we were, he would stop, and until at, when we'd come to a house. He would stop, and there we were—you know, a group of men and and dogs and shotguns—and go knock on the door and say, "We're, we're coon hunters. We're lost." And uh, I don't know how in the world. For for years, I just never understood uh, the attraction for it. I remember uh, the last time I th- I went. I think I was I was about twelve, thirteen years old, and. Uh, you know you pause for a while wait for the dogs to strike and you hear them uh, howling off in the distance and and i'd fallen asleep and uh, uh just dozed off and then <laughs> i woke up and they weren't there anymore <laughs> they had left me <laughs> so anyway i preached a ser- my first sermon i ever preached was about something about getting lost coon hunting and uh every time that um, mom still has a recording of it and diane uses that as blackmail i'm hoping that nobody ever gets a hold of that tape and listens to it but and preparing this sermon i somehow i remembered this thing about coon hunting and it's, it caused me to start thinking what was the big draw for coon hunting for dad and really it was all about the fellowship and uh, he used it as an opportunity to reach out to people. Uh, we would we would philosophize. We'd sit down, find ourselves a stump to sit on, and we'd sit around and we'd talk about life, talk about the way things ought to be. Well, we philosophized. We didn't we didn't use we didn't say we're philosophers, but that's what we were doing. <laughs> and. He would, my dad would reach out to unbelievers and include them in this fellowship that he had. Now, uh, he was, uh, he was, I would say that he was a Christian apologist. Now, he probably wouldn't use that term, but he was advocating and promoting the gospel here. And and maybe he didn't have, you know, all the tact and the world, all the, 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 uh, kinds of persuasive abilities to say, to use the right, just the right word. I mean, my, my, back when Angie and I were dating, we had broken up and came down to Bible college and Angie bravely went up and introduced herself and dad said, oh, you was the one who was trying to get into our family. <laughs> but people knew his heart <laughs> and he could say things really bluntly. But he knew when people heard him, they knew that that uh, that he had a sincere concern for them. And years later, you know, when we had the funeral here, there were people that I just thought they were just regular church, church people. And they come up to me and said, your dad was the reason why I came, why, who got me back in church. Or your dad was one who first introduced the Lord to me. And so he used this passion of his to... Uh, to include people in, into it so that he, he, he was he was willing to share a little bit of the journey with him as a fellowship. Brother Mark sent me his, his uh, chapter that he's reading with me, and he dared to share a part of his journey with, with him. And I'm privileged to have read that and, and uh, I, I don't know, partner with him maybe a little bit, give him feedback. And it's a fellowship that we have. And so, in light of this, I'm going to read the entirety of Philippians chapter 1. Okay? Now, I'm going to read the whole first chapter, and I want you to understand that one verse leads to the next verse. It's a story that's, that's unfolding here. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints. Let me back up here. I'm going to emphasize a few things here. Paul and Timothy, to the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God and Father and from Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think of this, uh, of you all, because you hear all those alls in there? You reckon there were some people there at Philippi who got on Paul's nerves? <laughs> but he's sincere about it. Verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, God is my witness, uh, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels or in the mercies of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are ex- excellent, that you may be sincere and without def- offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ into the glory and praise of God. Verse 12, but I would, ye should understand, and now he's going to tell you about his story there as he's in prison in Rome. I want you to understand, brothers, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather until the furtherance of the gospel. The Philippians knows he's in jail. Uh, Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ, my chains, are manifest in all the palace and in all the other places. Everybody knows that Paul's in prison. Verse 14, and many of the brethren and the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So instead of Paul being in prison and persecuted, instead of everybody getting fearful They see Paul's example, and they're emboldened to preach the gospel. Um, Verse 15 uh, is a very strange verse. Some, indeed, preach Christ even of envy. There were some people who opposed Paul, and uh, they preached Paul in such a way to create more hardships there. Uh, verse 16, the one preached Christ out of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Verse 17, but the other out of love, knowing I am set for the defense of the gospel. I'm here because of the gospel. Verse 18, what then? He said, it doesn't matter. Verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is pre- preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. So what he's saying here, So, look, it doesn't matter. If, if I'm suffering more or what, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that Christ is getting preached. Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the na- Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's my God will supply all my needs. That's, that verse, that's chapter 4, verse 19, is, corresponds to chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, That in nothing I shall be ashamed, that with all boldness as always, so now, so also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Here's the issue here. Paul may be facing death. And he said, this is one thing I want to do. As I face death, I want to face it boldly and without being ashamed. Here's one time where Paul says, would you pray for me to be bolder? (laughs) Can you imagine Paul praying that? That's what he's requesting for. Then verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what shall I choose? I, I don't know, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. You all need me to continue to be here. And verse 25, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all, you all, for the furtherance and joy of, of faith. That your rejoicing may be abundant in Jesus Christ for me by coming to you and again. Now, verse twenty-seven kind of tur- turns the corner here. At verse twenty-seven, he says, "Look, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I think I think it's going to turn out good, but it doesn't matter." He said, "Only whether I die, whether I live, this one thing: only let your conversation, or another uh, more modern way to say, only let the, your conduct of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God verse 29 for unto you and this is an amazing statement for unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. There's that verse that says you are privileged to suffer for Christ's sake, having, seen, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So I don't know what you think about the fellowship of coon hunting, <laughs> But what about this fellowship that Paul speaks of here at Philippi? This is the fellowship of the king, the king's fellowship. Um, and, you know, all my sermons are kind of long and convoluted and have a lot of moving parts, but here it's, it's real simple. Here, This fellowship is a partnership. This fellowship is a partnership in the gospel. This fellowship is a partnership in Christ's gospel and that's the essence of what what i'm uh wanting to share with you today and so we have here this this fellowship is a partnership it's a sharing uh, my uh, my my grandfather was an old man when my dad was born uh, he was, my grandfather was born in 1889 he uh served in world war one and and uh his dad was a young man and well my grandfather is old world war I buddies came over and visited, and uh, Dad told me, he said, the old veteran said to his dad, no one will understand what we went through together. And so fellowship is something that we go through together. Uh, look at verse uh, verse 30, again, having the same conflict. The Greek word is the word agon. <laughs> Do you know any English words that start off with the, word, with, with the letters agone, agony, agonize? It's a great struggle that you share together. And my grandfather and his war buddies, they had this great struggle together. And it was a fellowship that, we, that they shared together. Uh, and, as, and so we have this fellowship, you and I. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this fellowship together. And it's a struggle, and it's hard. And uh, it's so easy to say, "I I don't deserve to have to go through this, you know? It's so easy to say that. But there's this curious passage. A couple times Jesus says this. He says, the servant is not above the master. And then he said, If they do this to your master, what do you think they're going to do to the servant? (laughs) Okay. So if Christ went through the agone, the struggle, and he did. (laughs) And he did. He uh, consider him who endured the cross. Why? For the joy set before him, the joy of bringing many brothers to salvation. He had that in his mind as he endured the cross. And if Jesus endured his agone, then you and I are going to, uh, what we have no expectation of anything else to go through those struggles. There's a verse over here in chapter 3, if I can remember exactly how it comes here. Um, Paul you're, you're familiar with the, it's a famous passage you all know it it says that I may know him and the powers of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conform unto his death okay so that's a familiar passage here but Paul says it with great passion and so he, he uh, we hear him say that he says oh that I may know him and the whole congregation said we all say amen right and Paul said Oh, that I may know him. And the congregation said, Amen. Well, you got to do a little bit better now. Amen. Amen. Paul said, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the whole congregation Amen. said, Amen. Amen. And then Paul said, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And the whole congregation was silent. Who wants to know? Fellowship of Christ's sufferings. But that's what Paul said. (laughs) You have the resurrection, but you have the fellowship of his sufferings too. And there's a glory in bringing them together. That we have the privilege, as that verse 20, as verse 27, 28, 29, 30 said, we have the privilege not only to believe in him but to suffer with him. But this fellowship that we have, this this suffering, remember that the suffering that we have is in the context of the fellowship of the believers. Now I'm kind of dancing all around this this popular movie series. Uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote this book back in, and the '40s uh, a trilogy of books, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, and the first volume is called Fellowship of the Fellowship of the Rings. And he was a Christian writer, and he really gives us an, an analogy, something of an analogy about the fellowship that we enjoy together. The fellowship was a group of uh, a group of people who were whose friendships were forged around this notion. Of taking this ring and throwing it into uh, the fires of Mordor for its destruction, and I only—I don't—I only bring it up because it's a—you know—some of you may not know, be familiar with it, but it's something that's uh, part of our culture now. So many people have seen this, and I've been kind of dancing around it. Uh, this sermon's called "Fellowship of the King." They had the Fellowship of the Ring, and I'm. All about fellowship of the king, and I guess if I were going to start a a, a new Baptist church and have a name to it, I, my name of the church would would be the King's Fellowship Baptist Church. That's that's where I'm going for now. Uh, so, um, you know, you had all these various character you had characters. You had uh, a weird assortment. You know, you had elves and you had uh, dwarves and you had humans and and uh, you had and you had hobbits. And you would never put this group together. They were so diverse. They had weaknesses, uh, and but somehow they had this fellowship uh, that was forged together. And and that's what we have, the fellowship of the king. And when we go through these great agon, these great struggles, we have this fellowship together. Now, now one of my my favorite character in this epic story is, is not. Uh, the main character, Frodo, the Hobbit. It's not Aragorn, the king, the, uh, It's not it's not Legolas, the wise and fine uh, refined elf. It's it's this uh, Hobbit named Samwise Gamgee, and uh, the and the reason why uh, it's is because he was the encourager. And so the, Samwise and Frodo, the main character, are having this conversation after they've made this big, long journey, and they've done this and that and the other, and they've managed to get this far, and uh, the question is, do you think that, that uh, there'll be songs written about uh, the great hero- heroics that we've been through? And uh, Frodo said, well, yes, of course, we're going to have stories written about us, and and Samwise said, yeah, about how Frodo was so uh, uh, strong and, and uh, wise about doing all these things. And Frodo said, no, no, you're missing one of the main characters, Samwise. Samwise said, well, who? And Frodo said, well, you. And Samwise was kind of hurt because he thought that he was just joking because he, he viewed himself so, as having such a bit part, a, know, a know-nothing part in this great saga. And then Frodo said, Frodo would not have gotten very far without Samwise. And your pastor will not get very far without the encourager. It's easy to be a pastor, isn't it? (laughs) Brother Jim, you ever get discouraged? You know, some burdens that pastors bear are so hard to carry, heavy. (coughs) It goes down and it affects the whole family. But this is a fellowship. The struggles we go through is in the fellowship. And some of you folks need to be the encourager, not just of the pastor, but of anyone who goes through difficult times. And you think about it, we're so different here today. I mean, my, everybody knows how weird my sister is, right? Yeah. Okay, we're, we're different, right? Okay, we're different. You and I are different. How in the world would you and I ever get paired up? Right. Me being nice and skinny. <laughs> Brother Jim, how in the world did you and I get paired up? God calls people. He called those, in the story, it's the hobbit. These, these As a class of people, they were not brave. They were, they were uh, kind of uh, uh, self-centered. You know, you had to have your uh, uh, first breakfast, second breakfast, elevensies, and all these, you have to have all the food all the time. You, and all you do is just sit around and have a life of joy. Uh, they were not very adventurous. Uh, at one point, the hobbit says, if I take one more step, I will have gone further away from home than I've ever done before. And there's people in the church said, well, I've never gotten up and said anything in front of a group of people before. I don't know if I could do that. And then God calls in our weaknesses. God calls us. Fifteen years ago, did you have any notion that God was, maybe you did, calling you to preach? Everybody else said, no, Kenny. No, I don't. Uh, look, I, I come, people come in counseling to me all the time about being a pastor or a preacher. And they said, I have no idea in the world why God would call me to do this. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so I don't know how in the world God called me here to college. Here I am, uh, spent 15 years as a welder. And now here I'm at Bible college here. I don't understand why in the world I'm, I'm here, but God's called me here. I haven't read a book since high school. This 50-year-old man told me one time but God called that person into this fellowship. And I think it's so important, you know, who, who encourages the, the pastor? Who encouraged my grandfather there in the trenches when he was shot in World War I? So we're called to do these things. And the thing about these agon is that we have We know the outcome. We know how the book ends. Now, in great literature, on the eve of battle, you always have some big speech, a victory speech. You all might have remembered Shakespeare's Henry V, you know, the Battle of Agincourt, and uh, King Henry uh, looked at his we few, we faithful few, we band of. Brothers, is the passage there? And he, he uh, Henry the Fifth, said, "Look, you know, the odds are against us, but we will overcome, and we'll have victory. And in our old age, we will gather around, and we'll roll up our sleeves to show the battle scars that we have here. And the people who were not here with us on this day will weep because they were not with us." That's an inspiring speech. Now, the, the most famous speech now comes from the Lord of the Rings because everybody, I mean, people quote it all the time, you know, men of Gondor speech, you know, let's get ready for this battle. That's just what happens. Uh, at the time that I was preparing this sermon, I was reading about the Battle of the Bulge and uh, the, this counter, Hitler's counter offensive to push back uh, the allies back to France. And he called his generals together and they all gave all these victory speeches, yes. And we know that they lost. As rousing as those speeches were, those generals, those German, gentlers, uh, German generals gave empty speeches that did not come about. But brother and sisters, let me tell you, we know the end of the story. And so, so, so uh, uh, Mark, read that passage. Here's the end of the story. Read it, brother. he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in linen, white and clean. and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness, and wrath. say it with me king of kings and lord of lords one of the most amazing passages of all the scripture comes just in Re- revelation chapter 18 the chapter before that uh, paul or john the revelator was exiled in patmos under severe harsh conditions there and that's where he saw the mighty power of the Roman Empire is the, 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 the boots, of, the Roman boot upon the neck of John the Revelator. And in, in the midst of all that Roman power, the Revelator sees the end and he calls Fallen, Fallen, Fallen is Babylon the Great. That's his code name. All those Roman soldiers looked at him and said, crazy old man. But John, the revelator, knows the end of the story. So in the midst of our agone, comfort one another with these words. I just want to kind of wind this down to say that this is a partnership in Christ's gospel. And so Paul writes here, this is Christ's gospel. No matter what happens to me, live worthy. Prioritize the gospel. This great struggle is worthy of our resources. This is Christ's gospel. We have a good old time watching football and we see there, Ohio State University there, got the football, and all their players are trying so hard to push the ball this way. <coughs> the other team trying to push the ball this way. And millions of dollars is spent on this game. Hours and hours of practice. And whenever they're out on the field, those players have one thing in mind, move that ball that direction. And, you know, it's a microcosm of World War I where you had all these trench lines and my grandfather and his men trying so hard to push the lines on the map this side, this way. But this is Christ's gospel, and it, deser- it deserves, it's worthy of everything that you have. And, you know, some of us have misplaced priorities, uh, you know dad really loved coon hunting and there on Christmas Eve when mom and dad were first married dad went <laughs> dad went coon hunting left mom alone on Christmas Eve and she never let him forget about how his priorities were wrong <laughs> some of us have our priorities wrong I'm not talking about dad here because he had his priorities right maybe not about coon hunting but he had his priorities right and that's why we put of all of our labor, our dear money into this, into this fellowship. That's why we reach out to the neighbor here, neighbor here. Yeah, they're different from us or whatever, but we do everything. This is not pour about pouring yourself into Kenny's church or into the property here. This is all about. Christ's gospel, and it's worth everything that we have here. So, live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Prioritize this fellowship. Engage in the great struggle. Put your head in and lean forward and push. It's worthy of our resources because, brothers and sisters, this is the fellowship of the king.